OTB Sports Rugby. 1 to 15, everyone's got a role to play in terms of breaking down the opposition, but it's an enjoyable attack to, to be involved in because we all like to play rugby and get our hands on the ball and stuff like that. Subscribe to the rugby stream on the OTB Sports app now. Wednesday Night Rugby on Off The Ball with Vodafone main sponsor of the Irish rugby team we all belong to the team of us okay I'll just say the dream team are in situ Andy Dunn is here Jerry Thornley of the Irish Times is here you're both very welcome it's a pleasure good evening Joe Brian O'Driscoll was in last night this is just a quick divergent moment and he was talking about the game within the game which has been made of Gary Ringrose's absence and the various reads that a 13 has to make and I would recommend go back listen to Brian it's an education about the various tells and bluffs and the, the poker game that a 13 defensively will play with an attacking 10 and he cited for instance the moment Garbisi gave James Lowe the eyes as in looked out the back to his options and then popped a short one and Lowe bought the eyes and he was saying, you know, someone like Finn Russell, apply all your <coughs> reads with extreme caution. But he was saying in his day, Johnny Wilkinson, great player. There was a methodology. You could really study it and start to get to know it. Uh, he mentioned the Raj famous intercept. And he, he's, he said he just knew in a subconscious Raj for that slightly longer pass. There's a double pump. And plus it was Paul, Paul O'Connell. O'Connell. Yeah. <laughs> so he has his favourites. <laughs> played so, that hand before. Yeah. And so he... he went after it and intercepted. So the long-winded question, Andy Dunn, uh, were you a maverick Finn Russell, unpredictable, or could 13s get inside your head? I don't think they could because I didn't know what was going on inside my own head, so they'd been particularly impressive if they knew what was going on. Um, No, I would have thought I had, um, I was unpredictable, maybe in a, not necessarily a productive way for my own team but it would have caused a bit of distress for a defender. But um, yeah, there's mixed, mixed positives. I would mixed, mixed review on that, but um, not easy to read for, for either team. Okay. <laughs> At times, yeah. And did you enjoy like Garbisi giving the eyes and feeling the 13 clock? I definitely, eyes? yeah. There's a particular um, satisfaction with getting players, putting players through holes. Um, Actually, the one that I really enjoyed over the weekend was, I think, Tui Peloto did one for Hugh Jones in the in the French game that was particularly nice too. And he he's got uh, he's obviously not a, a ten, but he's got that capacity to to put players in gaps. It's just holding on that last second or two. Um, and it was interesting. I actually thought Ross something that I've seen in Ross Byrne in recent weeks only is that when Sexton is holding the ball and taking people talk about him taking it to the line the analogy I'd often use is he's <clears throat> he's extracting the most juice out of that situation he literally is wringing it dry he's getting hit almost on delivery of the pass but he's attracting one two defenders at all times the complaint around Carberry and to a lesser extent, Crowley was, they're not quite um, holding the defence enough and taking it to the line. But on watching Ross Byrne in Italy, he was maximum extraction of juice, I would say. He kept taking it to the line. He got hit, hammered two or three times on release. But that initial um, 
play was the impetus for some of the best midfield line breaks we had and I I thought that was a really nice addition to his game I've seen him take it to the line before but not to that extent so whether he's fired up whether he's taken on a, a extra responsibility uh, or he's he's just learning by absorption by, by again being in the Irish camp and getting more confidence I thought that was a really nice little change in his game which had a big impact on our attack in that particularly in the first half and at moments in the second mm. So Burn Jerry is improving it's not just that there was a complete player being ignored two three years ago Yeah but absolutely like <clears throat> Agree totally with Andy. Watching that first half in particular and some of the strike plays, that one off the line out when Van der Fleer feeds uh, Casey onto Byrne, the timing of going to the line and pulling the ball back for Mac Hansen to pass it on to Bundiaki was executed every bit as well as Johnny could have done, as was the move down the left on another occasion that led to the Bundiaki try when McCluskey also figured in it well. So I thought that part of his game was very good. I thought where both halves maybe struggled a little bit was in the third quarter when they had the 11 phase attack and then another 8 phase attack they had an attacking line out followed by an attacking scrum and it was extraordinary how often Ireland were just doing one-off runners and were running into a brick wall because in fairness to the Italians their work in the collisions was excellent and the Irish pack weren't generating all that much go forward ball for the backs to play off there was strike moves more in the first half that worked and the second half when they were going through multi-phase until the bench changed everything. Particularly, that meant that Caelan Doris went to eight, which means he was being used more as a carrier through the middle. And he was getting over the gain line, but also, as Gordon Darcy wrote about at length today in the Irish Times, the way that Conor Murphy, Conor Murray read the game and then came on and executed, that Casey hadn't been probing the fringes at all, whereas Murray has the strength to probe the fringes against towering defenders. And they started to use tip-on passes inside more. Ryan Baird a couple of times to both Conor Murray and then to Caelan Doris before Murray then himself snipes through the fringes and pops the offload mm. for Mac Hansen's finish. So that was varying the point of attack, which they hadn't been doing much in the third quarter. Mm. And you know that if Johnny was there, he would have been varying the point of attack that bit more. But all that being said and done, it's an invaluable investment in both Casey and Byrne and indeed others, including Baird and others, given there was six or seven frontliners missing. And as Doris also wrote this morning, one ventures Andy and he certainly seemed it afterwards was quite delighted to have been stressed it's no harm getting stressed this is a very good Italian side mm. some of their attack play is um, it looks like watching Ireland <laughs> it's really good themselves and Ireland probably played the, the best structured attacking rugby in the tournament even better than France whereas Scotland played this more Finn Russell inspired kind of looser more maverick, harder to read kind of attacking game. And they've been the three fun teams to watch in the tournament. Mm. And so we have, we're not judging this Italian team by the examples of the previous 20 years. This is a new Italian team, really good Italian team, very good attack-wise, great foundations, good mall defence, great line-out. So this is a much improved Italian side. And to go there and win with a bonus point, with that investment in these fringe players, I, you could see why Andy Farrell was so happy afterwards. Mm. Uh, I sense you have Murray comfortably clear of Casey. I wouldn't know that comfortably, but I've always had Murray ahead of Casey and I could never quite get my head around why so many people seem to think that Casey was a marked 
improvement on Murray that Murray was finished as a player. Tempo. <clears throat> tempo is the word people would Yeah, well, you don't play 102 tests and go on three lines through it if you can't play tempo as well as you, you just got pigeonholed as a box kicker. And I'm, there's much more to his game than that. And he's shown us continuously off the bench. I remember in Twickenham when they were down to 14 men from early doors and the crowd got very much into the game and they tried to rally a 14-man English team. And it was on a knife edge going into the last 15 minutes when Conor Murray came up and just calmed everything down. And he, he's got a, when you've got 102 tests for Ireland and whatever number he has for the Lions and you're sitting in the stand watching a game for 50, 60 minutes, you've got a very good idea what to do when you come on better than a player who's got less experience perhaps I would admit that generally scrum halves should always improve things because they're coming it's a very energy sapping um, role you've got to hit every breakdown like Conor Murray hit 41 of the 42 breakdowns in the build up to um, Johnny Sexton drop goal in Paris four years ago he's 33 now he probably couldn't do that anymore but certainly in the end game he comes on for 20 minutes it's no bother to him and so yeah I, I still think his strength is just taken for granted, but actually it's, you know, it's a factor. Both, both Conor Murray and Johnny Sexton are big men. You ever yeah. meet them? They're big, strong men, which you need at the modern level. And I just think, yeah, he, he's a good footballer, Conor Murray. He's good under a high ball. He can, he's a good defender by and large. There's, there's lots that we just take for granted yes. in Conor Murray's game. Where are you in that one, Andy? To what extent is Casey breathing down <coughs> Murray's neck? Sorry, I misheard you To what extent is Casey breathing down Murray's neck? Um... Well, like, yeah, I, he did very well, Casey, in the in his his role off the bench against France. Um, himself and Byrne changed how we played and changed the tempo of the game. And in in the case of Casey, in particularly in Casey, showed a bit of uh, to me an ability to play a slower, more prag kind of game with more pragmatism because there was a sense looking at Casey that he's a he's a one he's a one-paced player and that he's all high tempo and can he actually slow the game down and that to me was encouraging that he, he showed um, insight and game management against France so I think that's a feather in his cap <clears throat> similarly I think it's been a, a huge Six Nations now for Murray I would definitely say I was one of the pundits who queried Murray's capacity and said I to me, he still he looked like a player who was a little over his best um, in terms of his contribution. When when you thought back to peak performances he had in Chicago against the All Blacks, I was looking at his his the pace of the tempo he brought to the overall team back then, his ability to be a threat from the breakdown and a less frequently used kicking game. And that changed over the next couple of years to a very frequently used kicking game. But again, the, there's mitigation because he was in a Munster side that was maybe he was asked to do that more often because it was a Munster side that weren't playing high tempo, attacking rugby, using the full width of the field and so on. So there is mitigation, but he, he seemed to have a an extended period of time where he looked to me like he was out of ideas in attack or out of creativity and was reverting to the box kick. So watching him in this Six Nations to me is, is like watching the rebirth of a player to some degree. The things I thought maybe had, had left him because of age, I was wrong. Mm. And he's shown that he's just got all the aspects he needs to contribute to this team in a very meaningful way. And as Jerry said, he's 
he's got all those aspects, but he's got a hundred and two, a hundred and two Irish caps behind him. Hundred three now, maybe. Yeah. So, so that is the, you know, that is hard to put a value on in terms of what that can bring to the group. And and we obviously don't know the inner workings, but what he's bringing to the group by the attitude he showed when, you know, the commitment he showed when the week his dad had the accident or the, how he's behaved around Munster in Ireland when he's been dropped as mm. a senior pro. You're, you're, they're all intangibles, but they're huge as well in mm. terms of the culture of the group. So it's been a real revelation of a couple of weeks from him and just fair play to him. I think it's... it's uh, very, very commendable. Yes, and his timing is very good this year of all years. Just one last point on the out-half <coughs> situation and we'll box it away. The point you make about bringing the, uh, carrying the ball right up to the line and mm. releasing last minute, we've talked about that, that at length with Sexton. I mean, there were uh, <coughs> calls a number of years ago, geez, Johnny, let it go a bit earlier, take less hits at mm. times when the, the nation sweated over his yes. fitness uh, at every moment. <coughs> that has never struck me as a difficult point to comprehend. In all sports, if you're if you're a right winger and you got the right back on the overlap, you're drawing a man and releasing it late as opposed to early rugby. It's a similar point. You're buying time. You're taking the opposition player out of the game. So not a not a difficult concept to get your head around. So why in practice were we not seeing all of our out halves doing it? Well, it's an exceptionally difficult skill to to master. I, I I get what you're saying in terms of the concept. Surely yes, straightforward. It makes sense. Hold your hold your opposition defender as late as possible, and release the ball and fix him. It's so difficult to do that. So, at ground level, you if the ball isn't quicker than one and a half to two seconds from a rook, as a ten, it feels like there's you're a you're a matador and you've got five bulls facing you and they're. They're rubbing their feet in the ground and they're literally, the longer those seconds go and they're milliseconds, but you're like, time is going up. You're like, the one comes out of the rook, two comes out of the rook. Suddenly you have two of the front row, one back row and a ten maybe, literally waiting to charge at you, right? You've you've then got a bullet of a pass coming at you, depending on conditions, is it wet, slippy? You have to catch it at hands away from the body. You have to catch it at pace, running, You've to fix two to three of these guys with no sense of um, safety for your own regard or regard for your own safety. But then you've to hold the inside guys who are trying to push them as well. So how do you do it without, you know, the, the, the tricky bit is if you release it too early, they're all gone. Yeah. And they are all gone. You listen to O'Driscoll from yesterday it's nuanced but it's just smart anticipation at a high level you just you get that wrong by a split second the entire move breaks down so it's just it's execution that it's an interesting question you've asked Finn Russell can do it Sexton does it um, Byrne is now doing it and Garbisi can do it the, they are the best attacking teams in this six nations by a distance Intermag is not as good at it and Farrell is really not good at it and Bigger is not good at it. So if you're if you're going to be, I suppose, break down attack to a level of that simplicity, because your 10 does decide your attack. Farrell is back in the pocket, to use the, the quarterback term, and releasing the ball. And that is something that frustrated me watching Carberry in the last couple of years because he so, can be such a threat. Mm. 
and I've often referenced the, the first Heineken Cup game I saw him start for Leinster at 10. He beat 11 defenders in the first half and I, I just thought, oh my God, he, he has arrived. But that, that gradually went out of his game through injury or loss of confidence or loss of form and so on. But it seems to be, as a trend, hugely, hugely important now in terms of the overall attack is that your 10 extracts as much juice out of those situations, yes. holds in as much people. I hear your argument. It makes perfect sense. Why isn't it just done more often? It's I To me, it was the most difficult skill to master in 11 years of professional rugby. No, that yeah, makes total sense. That makes total sense because intellectually, every 10 would understand the why. So yeah, the, yeah practice and the implementation is the tricky part to me. Mm. That's so much coming at you. It's yeah. like that Oliver Stone movie any given Sunday yeah. with Robbie Fox playing the quarterback it's and he puts the camera in the helmet and you go Oh it's crazy. It's crazy. They're and coming it's at you. dissimilar for an out half. It's the closest to it, isn't it? When I played against any of Gatland's teams <laughs> and that would have been wasps, they're coming at you from two directions because they're coming at you from the inside, from the rook, yeah. if the, and they're trying to slow up the ball. They're coming at you in front, and then there's a 13 coming at you from a different angle. So there's this, you're getting quite yes. trapped. And if you make one false move and you're trapped, one fumble, you are physically trapped then, mm. and your whole attack breaks down. So bearing in or, mind or, you can only... if you don't throw it early enough, there could yeah. be an, an intercept. Mm. Yeah. And meanwhile... Jerry and I are in the cheap seats saying, yeah. why does he yeah. bring it to the line? The line. Well, I, I often found, I love football, I love all sports, GAA. I played a bit of it after I finished rugby both, just casually with friends and it obviously doesn't quite equate. But you've got, it felt like you had this panoramic freedom when you got the ball. You can pass in any direction, you can turn in any direction. Yes. You can only pass in one direction. That's it. You're making With these people run at you. It is claustrophobic. Yeah. I can feel the PTSD <laughs> is coming back. Yeah. Let me just turn and <laughs> face the other way. I, it's I, a bit I, like that, isn't it? Yeah. I, I would have played in the in the prem- quarter. <laughs> I played in the Premiership at an, in an era where they picked huge number eights who would have marked. So Shabal was I was playing against. Oh, yeah. Henry Tuolangi, yeah. Lawrence Delalio. That was the was just the profile of eights that they were picking so yeah I'm kind of sweating talking about this and remembering it so. yeah, I remember I remember Roger talking about <clears throat> playing against Delalio he just said geez, he comes off the line quick doesn't he yeah, like he's yeah. but could I ask him one quick question um, I was very interested because when you're writing a, a live report in a, and every report's live now because of the internet I'm not. I'm going to be honest. The last few minutes, particularly if Ireland have just gone two scores clear, you're making sure you have all the subs, the scoring sequence, you're getting your intro, whatever. You've got ten or fifteen minutes to file, and so if if it's a two score game at that stage, you're not paying huge amount of attention. When I watched it again, I saw Jack Crowley come on in the 78 minute. And I'm, it's great that they gave the 77 minutes to Ross Byrne and the investment in him his first ever Six Nations start, but I would like to have seen a little bit more of Jack Crowley as well because when he came on. He did a quick fire rap that was like a shot of electricity through the game. And he actually, he takes the ball to the line. As well. mm. He looks like a real player. And what I like about him is his body language. Mm. You know, he, he just conveys that, he has that body language about him, doesn't mm. he? Mm. Well, is that, yeah. He, yeah he, I'm he, just asking what you thought of his little cameo, that's all. Uh, well, the little cameo, yeah, uh, very much adequate. One of the biggest things I saw Jack Crowley do since he's arrived on the international scene is uh, his first penalty to touch <laughs> in, in an international jersey. I've used the phrase a few times, extracting the most juice. He he kicked it 35, 40 metres into the corner. Five, It landed on the five metre. That was his first penalty to touch. Yeah. Every single option in front of him there and every voice in his head was probably saying, play it safe. safe. Well, 
Billy Burns was at home on his couch saying, <laughs> play it safe, buddy. That's correct. Because mm. it's costly. Exactly. Um, so if you're talking about composure, body language, I mean, he didn't look, he looked unruffled. He kicked it, he nailed it and he jogged up and he was all chat, yeah. chirping chat, picking the calls out for a fella who's what, 20, 21 and it was his first cap. That made an impact on me in terms of composure and body language. So Ross I think was full of the chat as well as we can. Yeah. I mean, I mean, he put in a beautiful left footed grubber into the corner, which was going to get Ireland a five minute line out. Um, because Capuoso had been tackling the touch and he's barking the referee but look can we just, just take the line out please no no we're going back for the penalty so then he had to kick the penalty back into the corner Six minutes. he actually had a good point so you could see he was very much in charge of his surrounds yes. as well and don't forget we've still got Joey Carberry there absolutely and he's still got two out halves who are probably never going to play for Ireland again as things stand who are both have about 30 caps between them or 20 anyway Billy Burns and Jack Carty and by rights Paddy Jackson would have been there in the system you know Ireland's depth chart at out half for all the criticism of the de- lack of depth at that half, it's probably never been better. Mm-hmm. Harry Byrne as well, Kieran Frawley. Yeah. Uh, one player, you were writing about him, about him today and people have picked out the performance of Ryan Baird, who was still only 23, mm. who is, I, he has won the genetic lottery. I was just, I can't believe he's 23 <laughs> when you just said that. I was like, Ryan Baird's only 23. Yeah. I should thought of that line. Big man. The ge- genetic lottery, nice line. Uh, <laughs> debut two years ago in Rome. Mm-hmm. Eight caps in his first year, mm-hmm. as fast as the backs we hear, mm-hmm. and then zero caps through all of last year. Injury ravaged, and uh, I guess, uh, but for the injury of you made the point in the paper today, Ty Byrne may not have had his chance in Rome, but did get his chance. And there's no doubt that when the Irish coaching ticket have the opportunity to bring him in, they're pretty quick to bring him in. They recognise this guy has a ceiling that most don't. Mm-hmm. You, you, sus- you suspect they're going to do everything they can to get this guy on the plane, and, and maybe. Yeah, you know, he could be a bolter. Oh, I wouldn't say a bolter. I'd say he's almost nail on for a st- a 20, the World Cup for twenty three. I mean, yeah. Oh well, I don't know about twenty three. Definitely the squad. And yes, hard to know with everybody being fit, but he has the additional virtue of being a genuine six, where he started seven of his ten games for Leinster this season. So, like, even and my I, question is funny. When I say bolter, I'm like his seed on the plane. I'm for the yeah. I would but think I, I'm so. I'm saying he could. He yeah. could really make a late burst. Yeah, he could. Yeah, he could. Starting to like was the last game before. The pandemic first hit, or one of the last games, we got that hat trick against Glasgow in the RDS, including the 55 metre gallop, whatever it was, for his hat trick try. Like, we've always known about his extraordinary athleticism. And you could see it even the way he was chasing restarts. He missed one tackle um, from a long restart by Ross Byrne on Saturday, but he was 10 metres in front of every other Irish player. Mm. Like he was that far ahead of everybody else. And he was brilliant at chasing restarts, putting pressure on Garbisi. But then He's also got that handling skills from being a Gaelic footballer, the lovely little two tip-on passes inside and the build-up to that Mac Hansen try. He wasn't used from an Irish line at once, but he made that vital steal, or a very important steal anyway, five, five metres from the Irish line. So he's got so many strings from his, to his bow and the ability to play both six and in, and the row. Yeah, I mean, he, it's, he's an extraordinary talent for sure, isn't he? And it's good to see him coming. That was a big day in his career, I thought. Mm. Last Saturday, a big day in his career. And he was, we, we interviewed him afterwards, a few of us, and he was buzzing. You could just see he was buzzing. Because un- unlike the debut two years ago, which was behind closed doors, his dad and his two brothers were in the ground as well. And he really, that meant a lot more to him, as it always does for players. He also, in I heard that interview, and he acknowledged in so much as a player would, I suppose, Andy, something I had maybe heard around him, which is that, you know, a degree of maturity was required. And, and that's, you know, we... we mature at different rates and he, he talked about an attitude shift as well of late 
And I think in your piece, you told, you know, he's he's journaling. He's very focused now. He's he's clued in. So I don't know how highly you rate him or where you think he could go in the short term. Oh, I yeah, I'm in the exact same camp as uh, Jerry there. And I like your phrase a lot because I think it encapsulates him. He's a genetic lottery winner. He is. He's he's not your tip. How, how many numbers of the six did we all get in the genetic lottery? <laughs> <laughs> Do we have to go there? Now? I don't think we'll we get the bonus we'll, number at least. Uh, Come on. We can shut it up about that in the pub, but maybe not live in there. <laughs> he, um, no, I... I, I uh, but it's always interesting when Jeez, you're, you're depressing thoughts. <laughs> <laughs> My mind wandered there. Yeah, about likewise. The of us thinking about our lottery numbers, but no, he he. Um, I think it's always interesting to consider super talented, you know, genetically gifted young players for the reason that at up to about the age of 18 or 19, they're so much better than everyone else and they tend to have an easy run through. Yeah. And then they're out in the big bad world. And what happens then is they, they, they have to adapt to greater degrees of intensity, greater levels of expectation, probably greater work ethic required to be at the level of dominance that they've had up until a certain age because that level of dominance doesn't last. Probably... Ryan Baird getting a hat-trick in his debut for Leinster, you could argue, well, I wonder, did it help him? You know what I mean? It probably, who, who's to say it did? It might have just gone, well, just, you know, normal order, restored here. If I got a hat-trick in my debut, that's it. Um, I coached Jack Conan in in his first, I picked him for his first All-Ireland League game in Old Belvedere. And you could see Jack Conan at 19 was choosy, you know, about his... his um, you know, his, I suppose, his contributions to the game. When he made one, you know, we scored. And then he was walking around and I was, I'd was i heard the hype and he was 19, but we we had a number of chats with him week three, week four, week six. We were like, Jack, you're, you're too talented to be choosy about contributions. And when you go up to the next level, you know, you, that won't, it won't last, you know. So now Jack is super intelligent and in, you know he has the emotional intelligence he's a great leader he had that fixed within three four months um so i suspect something similar might have happened baird in those initial in that initial period where in reality you know he's probably surrounded by the likes of van der fleer doris now conan and he's like this is what it takes every day and you know that's what great environments do is they check players like like Baird, who potentially could could maybe take it take his foot off the gas. He, now he, he can't. He was another who spoke about the environment afterwards as well. Mm. You no, know, but the incredible environment that Andy Farrell and the leading players have developed with Ireland. You know, they they, they all clearly love it so much so that even if they're on the outside of the twenty three, and far from getting bitchy or moany, they're just doubly more determined as Baird was, mm. so that when opportunity does knock through misfortune to another you grasp it <laughs> with yeah. everything you have mm. On Conan I didn't realise you'd uh, worked with him at close quarters so the point has been made well moving Doris from eight is questionable in the first place moving Doris from eight when Conan's not playing his best stuff is definitely not a good idea what do you think's happened to Conan post lines tour? Um, <clears throat> I think he's just been just overtaken like in the same lane by a player who's playing exceptional rugby. I don't think Conan's done anything wrong. I just think Doris has 
accelerated his levels to to a level it's just hard to think there's a better number eight in the world at the moment and um, that's tough on Conan mm-hmm. it is but mm-hmm. like he's not done anything wrong and I think a player can lose his confidence when he's overtaken like that yeah I don't think Jack is the type though okay. knowing him it would have I would have lost my confidence I can tell you but there's different people and you know again he's in an environment that the emotional intelligence within that coaching group and the experience they've got they'll mind they'll manage that well yeah and they'll push the right buttons i feel with jack and jack is one of these people with a, uh, i've heard sports psychologists say an internal locus of control he's like i'm going to manage my response to this i'm not going to blame coaches and or be a, you know um jealous of an improvement in doris's game and jack would be the type who will just dig in work harder do the right things, say the right things. He's diplomatic and he's a natural leader. I, I, I just think it's a an embarrassment to riches because I don't, I don't see any deterioration in his game whatsoever. In fact, it's actually even more unfortunate for Gavin Coombs and Max Deegan to be roughly the same age as mm-hmm. Caelan Doris. It's like being born the same year as Brian O'Driscoll and deciding you're going to be an outside centre. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, it's tough. We're taking a very short break. Jerry and Andy staying with us. Back in one moment. Wednesday night rugby on Off The Ball with Vodafone main sponsor of the Irish rugby team we all belong to the team of us Welcome back Jerry Thorny of the Irish Times Andy Dunn still with us uh, the lads spent the ad break wondering just how many numbers they did win in the genetic lottery so answers in a postcard please uh, here's a point before we all uh, drown in the hubris uh, it was a point that Gordon Darcy made in the paper today if you take the Irish 23 that played against Italy of that 23, four foreign players, 19 through the school system, zero through the club system. I refuse deserve a lot of credit for a lot of things, uh, but the truth is they've been gifted a privately funded model. And we hear of the great work being done at club level, but proof being in the pudding, that's not a great stat. It's not great. Can I just jump in one observation? Yeah. There was a full set of fixtures across four AIL mm. leagues at same, last same Saturday time. at the same time the game kicked off like how that can be justified at any level when there's only 18 league games a year for the clubs <clears throat> it's just so ridiculous and they're talking about trying to get you know the true fans into the ground the true fans are there supporting their club because they want to support their club so there was no none of them are watching Ireland and they're not at the ground you know it's just they're not travelling to Italy or if it was in Lansdowne the same like th- you couldn't have a bigger um, you know kick towards the club game than playing club games across four leagues across the length and breadth of the country at the same time the national team are kicking off so I'm fully with Darcy like it's 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 well managed in terms of PR but it's it's opti- the optics and all of that they don't wash when you schedule games at the same time as the international team in an 18 week season and the, the international team play 10 times there's do the maths on that I don't know there's probably 38 alternatives in the year to put on those games so there's no doubt there's a huge over reliance on what the schools do and the elite schools and I'm sure the RFU and even Leinster are fully aware of this It'll change, obviously, now that Tyke Furlan's back in the squad and before that we had Sean O'Brien and Jamie Osborne. So there are players coming through the club system as well, the youth system. And the AIL clubs, 
they still play a very important role in the development of a lot of these players because they're the ones introducing them to the game at five, six, seven, eight years of age through mini rugby. And that often gets completely overlooked because the system is... It's such a personal fiefdom within the school's game that once they get these players, they're not allowed to go near their clubs again, mm. which I think is inherently wrong. Uh, I really do. I always have done. But e- either way, there's no doubt Ireland would not be as good as they are now, but for the fantastic facilities that some of these schools have and the own professional-like work they put in with the with the players and the products that then come out are much more ready-made for the academy or in some instances almost ready-made for professional rugby coming out of school like never before. The schools are producing prototypes for the professional game and you know the great academies like Ajax and Barcelona Ireland rugby has probably 25 academies you know that they don't need to fund in any way because the schools are producing them so they don't need the club game anymore and that isn't going to change but one thing is I suppose if you're going to compete at the highest level be number one in the world there's too much risk in losing so what happens now is it's getting like the NFL the top young players come out at 18 and they get into a sub academy the really talented ones kind of leapfrog straight into an academy when myself O'Driscoll and Darcy left school we got a full time contract that was it there was none of this stuff happened you got one or you didn't and everyone else went and played with their club and enjoyed it now you get all these super talented uh, I call them automatons. They're like robots. They're physical robots. They're all media savvy trained. They never put a foot wrong. They're polished. They're athletes. And they give up rugby because they don't get into the sub academy. I was coached that same time, I was coaching that. Jack Conan. There was five or six of Jack Conan's pals who were exceptional. And I was like, what's the story? Why won't you come training at the moment? I was trying to think, is it an attitude thing? They're like, no, I hate rugby. That's why I'm not coming to train and I'm not going to continue playing it because they've trained five times a day, uh, five times a week or nine times a week since the age of 13. So it's getting to... Not a, everybody loves it and, and, and no, devours no. it like Caelan Doris did. I think no, he played five no. years in a row on Junior Cup and Senior Cup, strong black rock sides and was a boarder. He clearly devoured it, loved it, but I'm sure it's a turn off for the, li- the life blood, The lifeblood of the clubs are, you know, you go back to the 80s, most clubs were filled in six or seven teams. Now most clubs are filled in two or three because the young lads who come out of school at 18 or 19 just give up. They're like, I'm not doing that again. I'm yeah. after coming through. I'm institutionalised for six years. <laughs> yeah. Right. And also, if they don't crack into an academy almost immediately, they, well, I'm not going to make it as a professional, therefore, what's the point or in carrying on? what's the point in going having and a few yet, years with it, my pals? Exactly. I, don't, I don't see it, but... Yeah, yeah. and yet actually... <clears throat> An awful lot of players are groomed for a year or two or three years by their experiences in the IL while they're in the academy structure. Lots and lots. I, I'm going to a game the weekend. I'm, I go to a good few games. There are lots of very good young players who are in the academy stroke development system or even on the fringes of AIL, of provincial squads who play. And the AIL standards have gone up in the last few. Tony Smith who has been coaching Trinity for 22, 23 seasons. And he said, Jerry, this is the best top flight. And he was talking about last season. And in part, that was actually a quirk of COVID or certainly to do with getting rid of the British and Irish Cup which I wouldn't if there was going on in the back garden I wouldn't open the curtains I wouldn't cross the road to watch a British and Irish Cup game clubs mean something they're reared there yeah. their dads played there it's just much more meaningful and they will play a lot of club games particularly front row forwards tight five forwards in the one, two, three years they come out of school and there's lots of them playing there at the moment and if you go through a lot of that Irish squad yes they came through elite schools more than, but I'd say an awful lot of them played a good bit of rugby at AI level 
Yeah, and so we a, don't need the provincial A or provincial Irish Cup no, coming I, back. I totally agree. And the other, the other, there's so many things around this. Like you, at eighteen, nineteen, you're very sheltered. You go into a, a senior men's team. You're mm. playing with thirty six year olds. You, lads will take the piss out of you. Lads will teach a few things. Different age groups, different sizes and shapes, different outlooks on life. You know, a lot of these lads coming out of the private schools are are institutionalized. You know, to a degree, and I mean that respectfully to the institutions they're doing their best but they are you know and you're getting immediate exposure to all shapes and sizes from all walks of life at club level yeah and the, the last thing is just i always have have looked on in in astonishment at brock purdy coming into the nfl this year as the uh, what was he called mr is it mr insignificant or something the last guy in the draft is a name for it um Mr. Irrelevant. Mr. Irrelevant, sorry. But he he hit the ground running and all the, the pundits said the reason he hit the ground running was because he played at a lower level university but he played every week for yeah. four years. Yeah. The amount of lads I saw who I coached or I were peers who were trained as professionals at 18, 19 in academies, their actual exposure to real life game time you're talking about five to six games in a year. So they're professional trainers and it does not matter what you do. You cannot replicate game intensity at whether it's AIL Division 3B. It's not the same as a training session with the academy. And there's a young lad called Jed Tormey actually in, in my club who's come through the Leinster schools, Leinster 18s, 19s. He's been jumped up to start on the, the senior team in Belvoir in Division 2B. I was chatting to his dad and, and him saying... <coughs> get as much game time as he can and lo and behold about three weeks after three IAL games he gets into the Ireland under 20 squad so he's gone the circuitous route versus the academy route that's good to see mm. from my, but mm. the reason he's getting that is because he's playing Division 1B 1B yeah. yeah I was thinking that yeah, you know B, sorry yeah, I said the yeah, wrong yeah. league but he's at 1B level but he's getting game time and yeah. exposure that matters mm -hmm. A few quick fire points before we wrap this up if Henshaw and Ringrose are injured who's 13 and how good do we feel about it Ooh. um It's a tough one. You could go Bundy again, like he's had the 80 minutes under his belt. There's no doubt he adds plenty to the attacking game. Even and In mitigation of Bundy, I went through all his caps and um, he played, played 32 starts for Ireland before last Saturday and every one of them at 12. And how many runs would he have got with that three-quarter line have got during the week? And it's no doubt that his presence there affected James Lowe and vice versa and became a whole disconnect. By contrast, when they went to the Irish right, Hansen made a great read in Capoeiro, so tackled him, and then from the next phase got up and won a turnover. So he was quite secure on that side. Mm. <clears throat> but I would probably go Bundy again, but I wouldn't be surprised if they went for Jimmy Jimmy O'Brien, maybe, or maybe even is this the one for Jamie Osborne? Yeah, in, I'm throwing out three names. Yeah, I'm not really sure. Think I don't think Osborne has ever even travelled with this side. No, so he's down the pecking order. What do you think? Hume, if, if it was a World Cup. Tomorrow, I'd say, and those two were injured. To answer that is, mm -hmm. I would go with Bundy again and just. Jeez, we'd be nervous though, wouldn't we? I would be, but I'd also. He's a smart player who's going to be well coached in an environment that now knows there's, there's a problem there. Yeah, okay. Like, they know there's a problem. They're going to f do their best to fix it, I, I would have thought. Plus, has Casey um, Byrne. Um, 12, sorry, my name, um, McCloskey, 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 sorry, yeah. and Aki, I could be stand correct, but they've never played a rugby match together. No, they never started a game together, half back yeah. or in midfield, you, never mind the four of them. Four together. complete 
you know, yeah. people who've never played a game together in midfield, that affects your 13 hugely. And that's another one as well. It's Do they discussed. keep McCluskey if Henshaw and Ringrose are both back? Because McCluskey actually had a yeah. pretty decent game, I yeah. thought, in Rome. Yeah. Mm. No, I, I agree. But I, I wouldn't be as nervous again about Bundy occupying 13 okay. because there's, they'll develop a sense of trust and anticipation and how he needs to move and when he needs to move. Mm-hmm. Uh, somebody wonders, did Jerry adjust to the slower pace of Aaron's call or did he stick? <laughs> it was terrible, wasn't it? Tempo. No, it was terrible. <laughs> but, ah. Was it on ne- purpose? Well, they did that on purpose. Uh, you they wonder. Have to. Yeah, you wonder what. Just try it. and throw, you know. No. Um, How would that throw you? Well, surely the players look angry about music, it. I look fed up about a, it. Definitely, they noticed it, but it wouldn't affect your performance. No, God, no, no. No, but it would affect your. Well, no, I don't think it shouldn't. But it would affect the whole build-up and the you know getting motivated. You're yes. Suddenly, you're you're out to Not sure if Ireland's call is what gets them. Okay, no, but on 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 that team, yeah. And we've talked about this before, Joe, in here, and the lack of a a chant like. Uh, a Lele Bluff amongst the French fans when they came to Dublin it just needs 10 people to start it off in one corner and I went around the 15,000 of them yeah. and the Irish fans were very good in Rome very colourful signing the fields of Ethan Rye and all the rest of it but the Italian MC was very good in the stadium because whenever there was a lull in proceedings with a bit of quietness he would just go Italia, Italia and the crowd then would start chanting Italia, Italia we need a chant in the Aviva and we need the MC to do nothing more than just do what that Italian MC did Ireland yeah Ireland. anything <laughs> something just to get a bit the, the, uh, the players would appreciate it. you can no, laugh listen, all you want you're right you're right I know uh, the word from uh, various people Brian Driscoll yesterday France there's something off and which we buying into that totally I've been saying that here as well okay totally I, did I not say in this program whisper quietly but maybe they're the ones that peaked a year out from the World you Cup you did I think Are that uh, it, whispering it a bit loudly now? yeah I am because they're just not constructing anything much in attack the way Ireland are, the way Italy are, the way Scotland are. They're not building tries through the phases. They're very good off turn- turnover ball. In a sense, that's what they've been under Galtier and Edwards all along. And now without Dante there and Entomac not pl- quite playing as well. I'd throw Jalabert in there. If yeah. I think he could change their yeah. attack a bit. He could. Yeah, he could. But their attack needs to be developed. A yeah. lot of their players look tired and weary, mm. particularly Aldred. They will get a summer break. They will get a summer break for sure. But... Uh, I'd say even Italy will go to Paris and take on France in the pool stages and will fancy their chances of at least stressing them. You know what I mean? I it, look, yeah, of course, they're going to be at home and the Marseille is going to play and they, they won't have the top 14 distracting them. But like, just they haven't scaled the heights of last season. They didn't in November. They didn't have a summer tour to get more cohesive. And their players are going to be playing in the top 14 through to July. And they just lost Jalanch for months. It was a big blow for them. Um... Yeah, I think I don't know. They're they're not where they were last no, season. I didn't realize Jalash what happened to him. He did his cruciate ligament. Oh, he's been superb. Yeah, and yeah. unfortunately, Caputo was out of the rest of the tournament as well. I think done the shoulder. What about Scotland Murrayfield round four? Early thoughts? Oh, um, I have a little bit of a. I think we're going to do a job on them. Uh, and you stop. And it comes from a place. It's no. It comes from. I think there's a bit of simmering anger in the Irish team from from five ten years. I've gone to Murrayfield. We've scraped by a couple of times, and lost th- twice in ten years. Yeah. Um. And I just think they have a bit of simmering ag- anger as well. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, they do. I. I think this Irish team are going to use it as a line in the sand marker and they're going to go over and do a job on Scotland. What just, does, how many points is do a job in the book? 10 to 15. I would More. say 15. To 20. 
no, 15-ish, but like a solid back-in-your-box type moment. And I think they are very driven to do that in Murrayfield with that particular Scottish group who talk a lot and have talked a lot um, in recent years. Yeah. Now, they, sorry, if I can talk separately, they've impressed me a lot, but I, I think an element of, of it is on shaky foundations a little. I think the Irish foundations are very, very strong. I think they're a stronger side than France are at the moment, even though they lost Scotland, away. Even, yeah, even though they lost away, because like Ireland beat France at home, France beat Scotland at home, and now Scotland are at home to us. And home is huge in the Six Nations. The only four way wins so far, I'm pretty sure, have been against Wales and Italy, or down at the bottom. And Italy, even then, really stressed the top two sides in the world. Could well have beaten France. And that game against Ireland until Brexit's cross kick is on a knife edge too in the second half. Mm-hmm. So... I think Scotland have been decent. I think they'll be a lot of anger, resentment towards Ireland. It'd be interesting to hear their body, their 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 language in the week of yeah, yeah, be very. That'll tell a tale. How they getting a bit carried away with themselves? I would say losing to France, but also performing very credibly mm. will have them well primed. They're going for their first triple crown in 1990. It's at Murrayfield. Their 10, 12, 13 is probably the best 10, 12, 13 that Townsend has struck upon, particularly in attack. I wouldn't be quite as confident as you now at this stage, Andy, but I bow to your generally <laughs> magnificent judgment. Um, I think they're the two games against Scotland this year, I think they've become almost Ireland's main foes. They're the, mm. the penultimate leg of a Grand Slam and the last game in the pool stage of the World Cup. Yeah. Uh, Steve Borthwick sees the game very differently to you, by the way. Mm. <laughs> I know. Smith he, gone. He was my captain. Ford in. So yeah, well, for, Ford, I can see logic because he won a premiership with Ford. So he's he's got trust in a lieutenant there. And Ford has a lot to his game. The only thing Ford has that I'd worry about is he's gone through this cycle a couple of times now between 2015 and 2019. And in 2019, he didn't manage key moments in, in the South Africa game. Uh, so I don't like his choice of Farrell to date over... Marcus Smith, Smith. Uh, I can see logic more in George Ford being included. I just don't like Farrell being in there at 10. I'd fear that Marcus Smith is going to become the Matt Letizia or Glenn Hoddle of his generation. He's like, how can a player that talented not be featuring centrally in your team? Because with Borthwick there, he's, he's, I don't know. But then again, Nick Evans is in in the attack. So just think about Nick as you're talking. It surprised me even more that Marcus didn't. Get in there, but uh, I can see logic to be honest in Ford coming in. He did kind of forecast at the start, didn't we? Yeah. I said, I, man, I thought they'd go far at 10 and Smith would not become a key figure in because he's just yeah. too unpredictable for Borthwick's liking. He wants players he can trust and carry yeah. out the game plan. Yeah. Yeah. I would do. There's a divide emerging, isn't there? Yeah, the there really is, but they'll be dangerous as well. Like, I think they'll beat France at home. My early instincts would be that England will beat I'd France. I'd agree on that. Would you? Yeah, and then they, they have a seven day turnaround before coming mm. to us. and mm. Ireland have a six-day turnaround. <laughs> and they're, they're going to get better at the, at the limited game plan they're doing yeah, yeah. with each passing game. Yeah. The time to play England was round one, not round five. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Just one interesting piece of news in, from New Zealand is that Ian Foster is not happy about this. He's on the record of saying, I think this is a woeful idea, not an exact quote, but a woeful idea to do this before the World Cup. Patsy Reddy, the New Zealand rugby chair, has uh, released a statement. She's saying that They've had uh, a lot of consultation and they've decided they're going to hire the next New Zealand coach in the next four to six weeks. So their logic is if we want to get the best candidates, we need to strike now before we potentially lose them if we if we uh, wait too long. 
uh, Foster says not a good idea and also I won't be reapplying so he, he is done uh, he is a lame duck manager if you want to put it in those terms with this World Cup coming and I suppose the early favourite is very much Scott Robertson will Joe Schmidt apply is a very interesting question but that's the news from New Zealand they're not in a great place overall are they no, they don't normally like this coming into World Cup um, the miracle the surprise as you were leaving flying out of Auckland or after the third test from Wellington to Auckland then home was that Ian Forster's time looked up then. Yeah. He was he was the most unpopular person in New Zealand. He was page one. It's like when you're the All Blacks head coach and you're losing at home to Ireland and then not long after losing at home to Argentina. It's a miracle he's still there in some respects. Um, from well, that when, idea. I saw, when I first saw the headline, I thought, oh, he's been sacked. Because mm. I was, Foster, mm. I will not reapply. I thought, oh, they've sacked him and they're opening an interview process. And he said, well, I'm not going to apply. And I thought, oh, Clearly, you're not going to apply. You've just been sacked. But I, but the, to the point that he was that under pressure, I thought he's he's been sacked. They've yeah. been in uh, an England or a Wales here. Yeah, and if it's Joe Schmidt that is anointed, I'd say Foster would probably be happier because it's the number two taking over from the number one, which was his role with Steve Hansen, and that might be a little bit more of a harmonious transfer. But if it's Scotty Robertson, then you've got both the head coach. Effectively being overlooked for the role, uh, released, and they've got the number two yes. also being overlooked, which is mm. would be a very <clears throat> odd place to be in, wouldn't it? Yeah, and then look at our own history when going into 2019, and everyone knew Joe Schmidt was not going to continue after the World Cup. What knock-on effect did that have an impact when players knew he was leaving? We don't know. It's, well, it's, it's I, conjecture, I, but I would think half the reason Foster. Has, has come out publicly to say I will not be reapplying is the massive embarrassment mm. of applying not getting it and then having to go and face your dressing room mm. he can't apply for it he can't risk no, not yeah, getting it yeah. true so it's a very uh, dirty linen in yeah, public situation yeah, it is like uh, Jerry said they don't normally do things like this and yeah I, I find it a strange time to announce it as well and you know either back Foster to the World Cup and maybe Players now in the background. Look, he's probably going to leave afterwards. But yeah. publicly to do it, I don't. I don't understand where they think there's a positive. Or if you want Scott Robertson, do put him in. Like do it now and make a decision. Sure, Sack, but even yeah. if you want to stick with Foster, just Scott, wink, wink, mm-hmm. not nice. Yes. Mm-hmm. Don't go taking another job just now. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Don't publicly interview process. Yeah, yeah. Joe Schmidt maybe interviews. Doesn't get it. How does he feel? Yeah, yeah. you know. Yeah. So it's, it's unusual. Uh, very final points to. Um, uh, very sad <clears throat> piece of news in Irish rugby over the last week or so Tom Tierney is somebody you played with Andy you were saying yes yes in my first year in Connacht we played a um, number of games early on we played against South Africa in their last warm up game before the 07 World Cup that South Africa went on to win um, and Tom was electric yeah he just had uh, a brilliant way about him on the field dynamic hugely naturally talented and uh, but off the field just brilliant charisma fun he pulled up uh, I went I used to go kicking on the Tume Road um, in the Galway GAA grounds because they had nets behind the posts and I just was saving myself <laughs> chasing balls back, back and forth it was a rainy afternoon in Galway it was about two months into my tenure in Connacht and I was out and deserted on the Tume Road kicking and this car driving by on the main road starts flashing the lights, beeping the horn. Tom, turns out it's Tom, pulls in into the car park and I ran over. I was like, what do you want? And he goes, 
what are you doing? And I said, I'm just doing a few extras. And he said, they're not extras unless the coaching team know they're extras. <laughs> he said, and just so, just so you know, he goes, your opposite number, Tim Donnelly, is up kicking in front of Brad's office window. He said, in the sports ground, just just let you know. But uh, I've often told that story to people pr- prior to Tom's tragic passing because it two things was it woke me up in my naivety. The other thing was it just showed his sense of looking out for a younger lad. Um, I was a couple of years younger, but just he definitely had that sense of looking out for people, yeah. leadership. He delivered his very clear message to me with a sense of fun, but I learned from it. But And he was like that throughout that group. And I think he's been like people who've been involved in him as players and, and uh, people who are coached by him would probably see that beautiful mix of charisma, yeah. uh, fun, uh, steeliness. Yeah, tragic loss, tragic I mean, stuff. such a shock at such an age. I think it shocked everybody. I mean, his, for his wife and daughters, it's just... Can't imagine. Can't imagine. And I, I covered the 98 tour. I think it was my first tour. Was it 98 South Africa? When he actually got the test spot ahead of Kieran Scally. I don't think he was a better player than Kieran Scally, but he, it was his force of personality got him in the team as much as anything Possibly. else. They're very similar, yeah. Very similar. Mm-hmm. Um, and like like you say, just every time I ever met him since, he was just always smiling, always in good form, always a very kind of a bullion character. Yeah, he John, John Hart, he played with me in Connacht. He lives in San Francisco now and we were texting back and forth when we heard the news and he was saying he'd come in from various training sessions and he'd have various studs taken out of his boot and someone else's laces in the boots. He knew it was always Tom, like that kind of stuff in the background. He'd never admit it, but he'd do that with five, six people. He'd have them on the go, puppets on a string, taking the mick out of everyone. Yeah. and. Yeah, just a brilliant man. Well, come across in the huge outpouring all week and condolences, obviously, to family. It, horrific. Um, Brian O'Brien, very worthy of a mention as well, Jerry. Yeah, very. I knew him well from back in my starting out. He was the monster manager, then he became the Irish manager. Just a great guy, you know. I remember him. Um, he was sent on a scouting mission for a monster. Monster playing Stade Francais and the quarterfinals of the, the Heineken Cup and he went over to watch Stade Francais and apparently he um, he was watching the game and he came back and he, somebody who'd met him was well, well, what did you learn got to stop Dominguez got to get Fester at Dominguez Fester and keep well, just spend 80 minutes hounding Diego Dominguez off the pitch just come, like, remember he used to have the twitch yeah. it got worse as the 80 minutes went on because Brian O'Brien so he did great rugby knowledge he's a great very popular figure great personality the other lovely memory I have of him is was when he was Munster manager in the 90s. They hadn't won away in Ulster for a very, very long time. And they went up and played. For some, I'm pretty, I think I'm right in saying that Ravenhill was getting redeveloped. There was some work in Ravenhill. In any event, it was an early season into pro. And it was played in Dublin, Queen's Ground. And they won for the first time afterwards. And that was the night in their partying and celebrating that Brian O'Brien stand up and fight for the first time. And that became, of course, Why? the Munster anthem. So you can imagine that the next time it's sung at a Munster home game, it's going to be sung with particular gusto because his spirit will live on in that song with that province. Didn't know that. Mm. Oh. I'm pretty sure of this. I hope I'm not wrong. No, I'm pretty certain of it. Okay. We're out of time, fellas. Our rugby coverage, thanks to Vodafone, main sponsor of the Irish rugby team. We all belong to the team of us. Andy Dunn, thank you. And Jerry Thornley of the Irish Times. Thank you both. Cheers, Joe. Cheers, Joe. Wednesday Night Rugby on Off The Ball with Vodafone main sponsor of the Irish rugby team we all belong to the team of us